Chabeli, thanks for talking to us. It's been it's been a tough 24 hours, hasn't it? A bit longer than that, even uh, sadly, uh, Ronak. Um, you know, when I first heard about Rodney, I I probably thought, you know, I, the guy. I hope he's okay, but he'll be okay. But then, as you started to hear more, oh, I don't like the sound of this. Then, you know, once I heard about the machine being switched off, and then it was only a matter of time. So. That was really bad once you know that he's gone and uh, i woke up this morning i was in i was actually in sydney because i'd been to a function there and uh, so i stayed in town for the night uh turned my phone on and there's all these messages and i'm thinking oh yeah it's condolence messages for rodney marsh that's terrific that people care so much and then i as i was scrolling down and i thought when i get on the train i'll have a look and I saw the name Shane Warne and I thought, what's his name doing there? And then I had another and I thought, oh, God, you know, so it's been horrible. Um, I just wrote uh, saying, uh, you know, can I please at least get the grieving for Rodney out of the way? Uh, now I'm grieving for two people. It's, it's bloody awful. Yeah, I can't imagine you were just processing this for Rodney. It was, of course, a dear friend and a teammate. Uh, I'd love to talk about Rodney in just a bit, but... Oh, the world is shocked, hasn't it? Shane Warne's demise at 52 is something that it'll take some time. It's still a numbing feeling for us so far from the world. Uh, what's the sense like from an Australian, from someone who has followed his career from the start, from someone who he considered and often publicly said was almost a spiritual mentor? That's what Shane Warne looked up to you as. What's what's the immediate feeling? Well, it's obviously the shock. Um, you know, you, when someone dies at 52, it can't be anything else but a shock. As, as time goes on, you start to think about some of the things that you saw and you heard about. And you, I remember thinking at times, Warney, you know, you, you can't keep doing this. It's, uh, you're not meant to um, live that sort of lifestyle the whole time. And I think at some point, you know, going back a little bit, I thought Warney's here for a good time, not necessarily a long time. But I never for a moment, same as I never thought, when I saw him, I thought this guy can bowl, but I never thought 700 test wickets. And I never thought 52. You know, I was probably thinking, you know, mate, if you get to 70, you'll be doing pretty well. Um, 52 never even entered my head. If, if I could just take you down in all those years back memory lane, first impressions of Shane, first time you saw him bowl? Well, I, I go back even a little bit before that because I knew Terry Jenner very well because obviously I played against him when he played for the West but had a lot of cricket with him for both South Australia and Australia. And he was a good bowler at his best when he was thinking. But TJ could get distracted pretty quickly by the crowd, whatever, and you had to get the crowd on your back and off TJ's back. But I knew that he had the, the spin bowling brain. He didn't necessarily have the ability, nothing like what Warney had, but he had a good brain. And I remember writing about him when he went to jail and he should never have gone to jail. That was despicable. But I remember writing that he's a very good communicator. He's got good knowledge. He's a good communicator. He'll make a very good coach if someone gives him the chance. Well, the important thing is that he got the chance with Shane Warne. And Warney chose very well there because... Uh, TJ gave him some tough love, but he also, he understood the art and he loved the art. And I remember now talking about, I, I mean, I recommended him 
well, not recommended him, but I was writing for The Age at the time and we were asked by the sports editor to pick somebody from the future who you think will be a good test match player. And I picked Shane Warne on the basis of what Brian Tabor had told me. Now, Brian was the manager of the Australian youth team that went to the Caribbean. And he came back and told me that some dope from Cricket Australia had told him that if Warren put a foot out of place, send him home. Now, where would Australian cricket be if, if Tabsy hadn't had a brain? And what did he do? He made him the social secretary. So he said, Warney went out, he bought the uh, ghetto blaster and he said he'd go in the next dressing room with a fag and a beer and the ghetto blaster and they'd play music and they'd chat. And right at the end, Tabsy said, oh, and by the way, this bloke can bowl. <laughs> so on that basis purely, because I knew Tabsy and I knew that Tabsy understood humans, but he, I knew that he understood cricketers very well. So on that basis, I nominated him. So it was there in article. Then TJ tells me a bit about this guy. I meet him in England. I think he was playing in the league. We chatted about a few things. Then suddenly he's in the test team for Sydney and he gets one for 150. Ravi Shastri belts him. Ravi gets 200, plays him very well. And TJ was there. And TJ was really keen and he came up to me and said, oh, you know, what do you think of Shane Warne? And I said, mate, don't be fooled by those ugly figures. He can bowl. Never for a moment did I think 700, not even 500. Maybe a couple of hundred test wickets be very good. But I said, this fella can bowl. And I'd seen TJ bowl. TJ was a good bowler with a smart brain. But I knew that Shane Warne was a better leg spinner than Terry Jenner at that time. And I probably told him that because one of the good things about our relationship was it was a very honest relationship with TJ very honest with warning but I could tell then this guy can bowl then I wasn't surprised when he did what he did in Sri Lanka and he started to get better and but but then when you started to get ball of the century and one bloke Rodney Hogg former test fast bowler wrote for the Melbourne Truth uh, he said this guy will take 500 test wickets this is before he's played for Australia and the fellow the, the editor sacked him he said, you're an idiot. No one takes 500 test wickets and sacked him. Well, I guess the editor would turn around now and say, well, I was right. He didn't claim 500. He claimed 700. But you could see, even in those early days, the bloke could bowl. Do you remember the first conversation you had with him or one that stands out? He, and this is Warney. Warney was a very generous bloke, very generous. And he was, I think, sometimes too generous in the praise that he gave people who, who he thought helped him. Now, he said, I've seen it a couple of times, he said that I helped him more than a lot. Well, I remember telling him, and I said to him, Shane, the more that you know about yourself, the better off you'll be. And I'm talking not just cricket, I'm talking life. And I've seen Warney in print say, at first, I didn't understand what he was talking about. But I went away and I thought about it. And when I realised what he was talking about, he said, this is the most important thing for me. And, and that tells you a lot about Shane Warne. See, you can give somebody some information, but it's what they do with that information. And Warney was smart enough to go away and to work it out. Ah, now I understand what he's talking about. 
then he put it into his own future and it meant something to him but generosity you know he well here's a classic Shane Warne I was asked as a director of a Comtech of Comtech a, a tech company in Sydney yes. um, can you put together a team from your 1973 Caribbean side that won and get Mark Taylor's 1995 team that won in the Caribbean and we'll have a golf match and we'll raise funds and all that sort of business. Now, that was not difficult because Mark Taylor's team, I knew Mark a bit and I knew Warney a bit and, and they all wanted to play and it was no problem getting my lot together. And the CEO of Comtech is a great mate of mine, David Shane. And David, also a very generous man, said, send us in a, uh, a bill for the, all your expenses and we'll pay it. No bill came in from all the others. No bill came from Shane Moore. So David went to him and he said, Shane, where's your bill for? He said, mate, I don't, I don't need the money. Don't worry about it. And Shane, uh, David Shane kept pressing him. Mate, you know, you, we'll give you the money. And Shane Warne, to his eternal credit, said, any mate of Ian Chappell's is a mate of mine. I don't want the money. And he never took the money. And that's, that's just an example of how generous Shane was. He surely held you in high regard. Uh, like I said, he said many times he considered you to be a spiritual mentor. You also wrote very highly of him, his leadership. Uh, one of the great regrets that he never captained Australia on a full-time basis yet. Uh, you, you, you wrote highly of him. He said he made it exciting for, for the players and that turned out to be exciting for the game. Did you notice these similarities throughout? What, was, what were those sort of conversations like when you spoke cricket? Well, I guess I used my experience with Dennis Illy when I was talking about Shane Warne because to me, they were similar in a lot of things. And the similarity was with the fans. You know, whenever you gave the ball to Dennis Lilly, you as a captain thought, hmm, that's good, I'm giving it to Lilly, something's going to happen here. But you got the feeling that the fans, whether they be in the ground or whether they be watching on television, they edged forward in their seat and thought something's going to happen here. And so they got more excited about the game. And I felt exactly the same way about Shane Warne. Every time the captain gave the ball to Shane Warne, the people either put down their beer if they were, you know, somewhere or they're at the ground, sit forward in their seat, sit forward watching television because something's going to happen here. And that's the way I felt about uh, Shane Warne. He was an aggressive cricketer. You only have to talk to him a little bit. You listen to him talk about the game of cricket and it was all aggression. And that's, that's what I liked in a cricketer. That's what Rodney liked in a cricketer. Dennis, uh, you know, I can say many great things about Dennis Silly, but one of the great things I'll say about Dennis Silly is he never asked me for a defensive fielder. If he asked me for anybody, it was put an extra slip in. He used to go berserk about bat pad. Get that bloody bat pad in closer. And, you know, he'd say, mate, you can't get any closer because you've got to see the ball to catch it. Get him in closer. And so I would say to the guy, you go where Dennis tells you to go. And then when he starts to run up, you go where you got to be to catch the ball. But, you know, that's the great thing about Dennis. And that was the great thing about Warney, that, that they, thought, they thought about how do I get a wicket? Not how do I stop the opposition scoring? How do I get a wicket? You said a number of times now you thought he could bowl, but 
not test match 700 wickets sort of bowl, but so at, at what point did you think he's become a great bowler? I guess once you saw, and, and I mean, I understood how England played spin bowling and not very well in my opinion, and it's probably got worse over the years. But when I saw him produce that first delivery to get rid of Gatting, you start to think, uh-oh, um, this might be a bit more than 200. <laughs> and, of course, you weren't used... I mean, you you were used to... or well, I was used to Dennis Lilly, 355. You're sort of thinking, you know, around that mark, that's... that's you're very, very good if you get to that sort of mark. If you can make 400, well, that's probably going to happen a little bit more often now because they're playing a few more tests. So I probably started to think in the 300s. Uh, when I saw Warney produce that delivery. And then obviously I saw him throughout the 93 uh, series. And I'm, uh, you know, I forget now, I think he got 30 odd wickets in that uh, series. He got a lot anyhow. And I'm probably now starting to think, well, this is 300 odd, um, particularly. See, I, I mean, I knew New Zealand weren't very good at playing spin bowling and that they would be in real trouble against leg spin bowling. South Africa, same, no good. England, leg spin bowling, forget about it. You knew that India India played spin bowling pretty well, so that would always be a good contest. A lot of people raved about Pakistan and the way they played spin bowling, but I, I used to say to them, mate, Pakistan don't play leg spin bowling that well. Warney will get some wickets there. So, as I say... 93, I'm probably starting to think 300 plus. Yet we ended up with more than twice as many. So how much of one he was skilled and how much of it was mine for you? Uh, you see, that's where he was very smart as well. Um, he used the mind game. Dennis Lilly used the mind game. Johnny Gleeson, he, there's another part of me thinks of Johnny Gleeson when I think of Shane Warne. John didn't have the ability of Shane Warne, but boy, he was smart. Because there was a time when Gleeson, you know, he was the folded finger man and he insured his fingers for a million dollars back at a time when a million dollars was a lot of money. And so this goes up in big headlines. And I can remember reading every winter, oh, John Gleeson has developed a new delivery. We used to call him Heinz. Remember the Heinz ads, 47 different deliveries. Well, we used to call him Heinz because there was always a different delivery. And each time in the winter, I'd read about this new delivery that John Gleeson's developed, you see. So I'd go to first slip and I'd be watching Johnny run in and I'd see an over and I'd think, there's the same Johnny Gleeson. There ain't no new delivery here. But what did Shane Warne? Shane Warne talked about, oh, you know, I've developed this new delivery. You know, he'd talk about the the slider and the skidder and and I'm thinking, mate, that's the same bloody ball. But, yeah, well, here's an example. Tony Gregg, who I did a lot of commentary with, and Tony Gregg, usually, not usually, he always took the opposite side to Australia. Whoever Australia were playing, he'd take the other side. But South Africa was obviously very close to him because he played, he played uh, provincial cricket in South Africa. So Daryl Cullinan, you know, he, he had a bit of an affinity with Daryl Cullinan. And, you know, Cullinan couldn't play Warren's uh, flipper for love nor money. So Greggy gets in before a game one day. Now, bear in mind, Daryl Cullinan, by this stage, you're earning quite good money for being, you're playing for your living. 
So if you're number four batsman, you're supposed to be a very good batsman and you're playing for your living. Tony Gregg goes to him and he says, what are you looking for with Shane Warne's flipper? The answer he got from Daryl Cullen, ridiculous. Daryl Cullen said, I don't know. Now, how can you be number four and earning your living from batting and you don't know? But Warney was smart enough. He, he probably saw that and thought, oh, I'm way in front of this bloke. And, you know, he would talk up the flipper. And, and if I had a just a quiet private chat with Warney, I'd say, mate, the, the flipper's a bullshit ball. It gets 9, 10 jack out. Shouldn't get batsman out. And Warney would say, yeah, I know that, but don't tell them. And, you know, he would he'd bluff the world. So um, I remember reading or reading uh, George Giffen, who was an all-rounder from the 1800s and something, but I knew him well because he was South, ex-South Australia and he had a stand named after him at the Adelaide Oval, mm -hmm. so I used to see the name there regularly. And he wrote about Fred the Demon Spofforth back in the day when Spofforth was the big bowler for Australia. And in the old language, he said, verily I say, Spofforth has frightened out more batsmen than he's actually bowled out. And I read it and I'm, you know, that's probably the, when I'm dealing with Dennis Silly and, the, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is Lily all over again. And then later I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is Shane Warne because he could bowl. Boy, he could bowl. But he also had a very good brain and you had to be a smart batsman if you wanted to keep up with him. He, he often felt that he belonged to your era. Would you have been as successful or more successful then? I'll tell you two lovely stories about Shane Warne and playing in my time. We're, we're out at the middle. I was waiting to do the toss in commentary. And uh, so I've been out in the middle a bit and I'm watching what's going on. And Warney is probably in Buchanan's time. And they've been doing 40 minutes of fielding drills. And Warney's got them big time. And he comes over and Jesus, mate, he says, why are we doing these fielding drills? I can field. We don't need to do this. You know, why are we doing that? Why are we doing this? He said. And I said, Warney, you should have played with us. Oh, mate, he said, I'd have loved to have played with you. And he would have fitted in perfectly. A few years ago, I got this phone call from a radio station and uh, they were, I don't know what they were talking about, but we, we get on to Shane Warne. And they said, oh, mate, you had a good team. Uh, how would you have gone with Shane Warne in your team? And I said, I'll tell you one thing, mate. We would have picked him. And I said, if, if you've got a team and you can't find a place for Shane Warne in your team, you're a dickhead because he's one of the champions in this game. And if you can't find a spot for a leg spinner who bowls the opposition out, you're foolish. Um, Warney, don't worry. Warney would have got in our team and he would have been a big part of our team. It, it, from what I gathered when the news broke, uh, this seemed to really hit, not just because it was shocking. It seemed to be almost personal for cricket fans around the world. People who wrote about the game saw the game. In spite of all the many flaws, if you'd like to call it, off-field issues, controversies that his life was murdered with, it seemed like there was still the sense of endearment. People still loved Warney in spite of all those uh, fairly high-profile controversies in his life. Why do you think that was? Well, Ron, I'd put people in two categories. Um, there's people like me. Sure, I'm a commentator, but how do I think about the game? I think about the game as an ex-player. And if I see Shane Warne bowling, I'm thinking now, how would I try and play this to be a bit better than the rest? 
So when I see a ball that people are saying, oh, this is the ball of the century, I say, well, mate, you're a deal. You know, I mean, I don't know what the ball of the century is because I didn't see Sid Barnes bowl back in 1920 and I didn't see Jack Gregg, all those players. They could well have bowled a terrific ball that got someone out. All I know is Shane Warne bowled a terrific ball and that set me thinking, uh-oh, this fellow's going to take more wickets than I thought he was going to take. So there's that side to it. Then you've got the, the average fan. And to the average fan, Warney, I think, is they see this exceptional talent as a cricketer on the field. Then they read about the other stuff. And a lot of them will say, oh, well, if I'd had half a chance, I'd have done that too. But you see here, and this is another thing about Shane Warne. I found him to be very, very honest bloke. And you remember he got into, you know, there was some... Thing about an affair he had or whatever and Warney came out and he said I think he might have got suspended or something and he said all I've got to do is explain to my wife I've got to convince my wife I've got to get an apology from my wife nobody else it's nobody else's problem it's my wife's problem and I thought to myself that's pretty smart actually because it doesn't matter what I think or what Cricket Australia thinks it matters what Simone thought and, you know, I mean, in the end, she had the right to divorce him and she did. But I think, you know, you'll probably find today that Simone is very, very sad because I think even though they'd split, there was still, you know, that relationship still meant something. But these other people that you're talking about, they, they see Warney as somebody that they've got up there because he had cricket ability. But OK, he was flawed. But aren't most people flawed? And if you really scrape down below the surface, there's quite a bit of flooring there. It's just that warnings were made more public because of who he was, but also because he was prepared to admit to those flaws, whereas probably a lot of other people don't get the opportunity or they won't admit to those flaws. But Warney, I think the important thing with Warney was he may not have been, I think he probably was widely loved, but he was certainly widely respected. And I think that's the important thing, that people knew about the flaws, knew about his cricketing ability and said, I still admire this guy. Do you have a favourite one moment uh, if you hadn't covered it already? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, and my memory of Warney will obviously be off the field because I didn't play with him. I saw what he could do on the field and it was exceptional, at times really exceptional. But probably the thing that stays in my mind, apart from that generosity of spirit, I remember thinking, we, I forget where we were, we must have been at a cricket ground somewhere, and I think we were going out or whatever, but there was a lineup of people who wanted Shane Warne's autograph. And he, he just said, any that weren't in the line, he said, get in the line and I'll sign the whole lot. And I'm thinking, geez, Warney, come on, mate, we need to get going. And there was a big line there. But, and not only did he sign every autograph for that, he went right down the list, but he would chat to each, virtually each guy. And he wouldn't be, hi, Ronick, you know, as he signed, hi, Ronick, how are you? He'd start talking to you, you know, what are you doing at school? How's your cricket going? What do you do? Do you bat? Do you bowl? This is the sort of conversation he's having with all these people. Not 
a meaningless conversation. The, you know, the, you can see the kid would have walked away and gone to his dad and said, oh, mate, I've just got, not only did I get an autograph from Shane Warne, but he asked me what I was doing at school. He asked me how I was batting or, you know, and to me, that's, that shows you something about the bloke. He's not just a cricketer. You know, he's a, he's a full human being, or he was, sadly. How do you think cricket will remember him, Chapelli? I think cricket will remember him very fondly. You know, uh, I mean, it's interesting to look um, as an ex-cricketer, and and I saw some of the headlines that were being put up, the English headlines, you know, greatest ever. Well, yeah, I, I don't go in for greatest ever. I mean, I'll probably say that Bradman was the greatest batsman ever. I'll certainly say that Garfield Sobers is the greatest cricketer that I've ever seen, the all-rounder. But as for who was the greatest bowler, well, you know, in my opinion, Dennis Silly was. But what is my opinion? My opinion is pretty well restricted to who I played with because I know what he did. All I know is that Shane Warne was an exceptional bowler, but I had the good fortune to also get to know him as a human being, and I think that he was a very good human being. Flawed? No doubt about it, but a good human being. And I think in the end, you, you realise that I've got a whole life to go through. Some of that life will be as a sportsman, in my case, Warney's case, cricketer. But I've still got this full life to lead. And I've got to lead a decent life so that people, people might say, oh, yeah, he was a bit of a flawed character, but he was a pretty decent bloke. If they say that, I think you've done all right. And Shane Warne was a decent bloke. All right, we'll just, I'll take a pause there. I'll just do two quick ones on uh, Rod Marsh, Pavan, then we'll wrap it up. Oh, sure, man. <laughs> All right, cheers. Okay, three, two, one. On Rod Marsh, Chipelli, someone you've known for so long, uh, immense uh, contribution to the sport, to the game. Uh, just your thoughts, if you could just look back at what was this long friendship and uh, companionship that you had with a man that did so much for Australia. You're quite right that he did a hell of a lot for the game of cricket, not just Australia, but obviously I think immediately about his playing ability and I've had no hesitation in saying he's the best keeper that I ever saw in Australian colours. He covered more territory standing back than anybody else that I've ever seen and that's anybody from any country, not just Australia. And if you want to get an idea of how much territory he covered, there's a photo of me in the semi-final at Headingley. Uh, Gary Gilmore's bowled the, the outswinger. Tony Gregg's nicked it. My hands are slightly on my right to take the catch. Never got to me. Rodney Marsh, whoom, cross in front of me. And I remember saying to him at the time, and, and this is how we used to talk to each other. I said, listen, you fat bastard. I said, if you take them on my left, that's okay. I understand that. That's your job. But those that are on my right hand side, they're mine. Now, let them come through. But Rodney, and, and that's what you loved about him, he, his idea wasn't to let things through. His idea was, i got to go get this. And he would often say to you at first, get out of my pocket, which meant get wider. And, of course, if you could get wider, then second slip's wider, third slip's wider, and you're covering more territory. So then if you have a look at Rodney Marsh catching Clive Lloyd down the leg side, you'll then get an idea how much territory he covered. It was a hell of a lot. And that's really important in Australia because you're standing back a long way at times and you've got to cover that territory because you can push 
slips wider. So that's the first thing I think of. Uh, then I think of Rodney Marsh at the Australian Academy because I used to go down there regularly um, when he was the head coach. And there's no coincidence that those guys, young blokes, were very aggressive because that's the cricket that Rodney Marsh taught. You know, play aggressive cricket. If you play aggressively and it fails, I have no problem with that. Someday it'll work and it'll work more days than it doesn't. But if you play defensively, I hate that. And I'll tell you about it. And I remember ringing him. Uh, they beat New Zealand and then they beat England. The, this is the academy team beating the touring side, which was really unheard of in those days. I rang him up and I said, um, mate, you, your team's doing all right. He said, well, what do you expect? They're a bunch of greyhounds. And admittedly, he had some damn good, you know, I mean, he had young Ricky Ponting, he had young Glenn McGrath, there's a couple who could really play. But they could all field and they could throw the stumps down and they were fast. And then he, then he left the Australian Academy as head coach and he went to England, or he, he became the head coach of England. And at that time, they hadn't built Loughborough. So the Academy, the English Academy, was still the Adelaide Academy, i.e. at Henley Beach, and that meant that Rodney moved one door down in the office and stayed in the same office. And Sarah Lord, who now works for Cricket Australia, was his PA in those days. And I remember ringing up, ring up, you see, Sarah, hello, uh, whatever she answered, you see. And I said, put the pommy bastard on. And she immediately put me through to Rod Marsh. And he answers, hello. And I said, uh, mate, you're in trouble. What do you mean? I said, well, I asked the your PA to put me through to the pommy bastard and she put me through to you. So already they think you're a pommy bastard, you see. I said, you're in trouble. And Rodney, I'll never forget his answer. He said, um, mate, he said, I've moved one door down. He said, English pounds are three times the Australian dollar and they're still selling red wine in Adelaide. He said, how dumb am I? And I said, Actually, you're probably quite smart, Rodney. And, you know, that, that sort of sums up Rodney. He, he gave everything he had to cricket. But, boy, you know, he had a good time. And that was one of the reasons why I, you know, we continued to have a good friendship because every time I'd go to Adelaide, uh, we'd, have, we'd go out, we'd have dinner, and there'd always be alcohol involved and There'd be good stories. And he was just another one. He was a decent bloke, really decent bloke. It's always hard when someone from that era passes and you try and explain it to a fan who's just recently taken to the game. If you had to describe what Rodney Marsh's contribution to the game was, what his imprint on the game was to someone who perhaps is a young cricket fan, how would you describe it? Well, he... I mean, he's got the record 95 and it's record by a long way of uh, court marsh bold lily. He's got far and away the most of those. So the first thing the cricket fan knows is, boy, this bloke could keep, and he really could. I talked before about how he went for everything. If a ball got skied up in the air and it was away from him a bit and first slip, you, you're sort of getting under it, next thing you know, crash, it'd be on the ground. He'd just knock you out of the way. This is mine. Why is it yours? Because i got gloves on, mate. And, you know, so he went for everything. Um, you never, ever, ever had to say twice to him, mate, we better get a move on here because he was always batting to get a move on. If you look at his batting record, I'll never forget, he, he was the first Australian keeper to get a test 100. He got 100 against Pakistan in Adelaide, 118 or something. 
We then go to Melbourne for the second test. Very flat track again, you see. And we're like, we're about 400 and something at drinks the second morning. So we're talking 12 o'clock the second morning, we're 400. So we're going along pretty quickly. Rodney's 58 not out. I send the message out with drinks. I said, if you want to get another test 100, you've got 20 minutes to do it. First four balls after drinks were from Safras. Now I was the quickie. Hit them all for four. And then Safras bowled him a hand to head. And he went to hit it. And he hit it straight up in the air, got caught. And I declared. So you'll see Rod Marsh caught somebody, bowled Safras 74. He comes in and he's got the hump. Bat goes down like that, you see. And I said to him, what's wrong, mate? Uh, you annoyed about the hand ahead? Nah, I should have hit it for six. And that's what upset him. He didn't hit it for six because he was going for that. He didn't care that I was probably going to give him another five minutes if he got close to the 100. He was going to get the 100 well inside the 20 minutes. And then you better declare. I mean, when I apologised to him, when Bill Lurie declared on him at 92, and I said, I'm sorry, mate, he should have let you go on and get the other eight. Mate, I got 40 extra runs. He should have declared an hour earlier. That's the way Rodney thought. He thought about aggression in the game, and that's what he wanted. And um, so I'd say to a young cricketer, that's how Rodney Marsh thought, both as a player and as a coach. He spoke to young cricketers, play aggressively. You'll never get a kick in the backside from me if you play aggressively. Ian Chappell, thanks so much for your time and your thoughts.